Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the twice-weekly podcast that will open your eyes to the kinds of insights you can use to better run your business. Come have your morning Joe with hosts Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins, who have the right recipes and ingredients to easily help you cook up a storm for even your toughest competitor. No lectures, no wasting your time telling you how smart they are, and no bullshit. The Small Business Wake-Up Call is going to make you think, laugh, and help you recognize how much money you've been leaving on the table with advice that'll help you improve your quality of life. Lonnie and Stan are small business veterans who will share their individual war stories and experiences, not only from their own businesses, but also from guiding hundreds of other small business owners in over 100 industries. Head on over to sbvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan and save yourself some headaches. Grab that second cup of joe, or maybe something a bit stronger, and let's see what's on the menu for today. Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call. Here are your hosts, with cups in hand, Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins. Hello to our valued listeners, and especially to my Goomba, Lonnie Shambi. Goomba? Okay, since we're doing ethnic greetings, let me say good morning to my haver. Stan Simpkins. Oh, I don't know if I did that right. I feel like I want to spit after I do you're that. You're a member of the tribe, Melanie. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Lonnie, it's no secret that we started with this today because it illustrates the many languages that we use to communicate, but you think about it. And even something as simple as the word friend. Now, today we're going to talk about another form of communication and how you can use it to motivate your team. It's called Financial data. Now, Lonnie loves that topic because he puts him to sleep. Here he goes, luring at gang. Wake up, boy. But he remembers how much it helped him if he thinks about it with his clients and the companies he managed. Now, before you zone out, just like my friend Lonnie, the engineer, would put a set of blueprints in front of me, give us a chance to share some valuable tips that cost you virtually nothing, really, but can motivate your team and improve morale while it's at it. Okay, Stan. I just had my second cup of coffee, and I'm ready to rock. Before you take us along by grabbing the new microphone that you have there, <laughs> please tell me you're not going to give an accounting lecture. you got to practice that sentence a few more times. Well, you can chill, because <laughs> I won't use the accounting terms or do any math with our audience. No, rather, I simply want to discuss a typical scenario that hurts small business owners and how they turn that around. Now, imagine being an employee who had no way to measure their own performance until they got negatively critiqued, I'll that. And usually certainly not in a nice way. As well, imagine being a manager who was being chastised for the performance of his team, but had no specific targets or ways to measure how their team members were performing as a whole. Or just imagine working for a company with a team of dedicated team managers who were diligently working, but having no idea what was that translating into for the whole company let alone just their own department. Sounds like being on a baseball team that I coached, having the scoreboard turned off and not having a scorebook. Oh, you remember Only those able to days. watch the game when you're at bat or in the field. Yeah, you remember those days, don't you, Lonnie? <laughs> yes, I do. Well, it's eerie sounding. Yeah. It's eerie sounding, I know, but not too far off. And so why do many small business owners operate like this? And the answer is simple. It's not uncommon for small business owners to feel that sharing any financial data will be used against them. And when it comes time, especially for reviewing employee compensation, or then any bad news could hurt the company, maybe even cause high turnover. But here's the good news. 
We're not suggesting that you should hand the full set of your company's financial statements to your employees. It's bad enough that many of them don't even have owners, I should say, have sufficient training on how to interpret them, let alone the employees knowing how to do that. Plus, I'd agree, there might be some employees who would try to use that information to their advantage in an unfair manner. Now, rather, we'd rather talk about the what, when, how, and why of sharing financial data that will make sense to you. And as Lonnie and I have said repeatedly, we know this will be not new to you, but we'd ask you, what are you doing in this regard? That has always been our goal, not to teach or lecture, but to be a catalyst of top of mind awareness, that TOMA thing we talk about. And that's where the payoff begins, being aware. And consistent with our previous podcast, we always like to share a war story or two or seven to put some meat on the bones to management principles we share. So I'll start out with mine. This story illustrates cause and effect, before and after results from sharing some particular aspect of financial data. I had a client that was a company that did staging of houses to help them sell quicker at higher prices. The founder had come up with a lot of really cost-effective ways to acquire and store inventory to ship to various staging locations. But after we reviewed the process, we found how inefficient the scheduling system was, and it never showed up directly on the P&L until we gave her the secret. You see, delivery trucks would put one order on the truck, go out and get it set up, coming back with an empty truck. We showed her how to schedule way better by combining the schedules of multiple stagers and do deliveries and pickups in the same run using bigger trucks for some orders, smaller trucks for others. It's a great story, Lonnie, really, and I can relate to that with a number of clients, especially distributors. I'm not going to let you outwar store me on this one. <laughs> that was a Google, but <laughs> no, you're not getting away with that. So I'm going to give you my gem for the day. So if you've listened to any of our previous podcasts, you may remember the war story I had about two guys who had their own machine shop, and they grew it from 10 machinists to 100, honestly, within five years. Now, trust me, these guys had no formal education other than two-year trade schools, and they became machinists. So they started their own machine shop in their late 20s. I was maybe in my early 30s. But they never forgot what they learned working for somebody else, both the good and the bad. Now, the good was that the training they got and the quality of the equipment they operated was awesome, state-of-the-art. The bad was the secretiveness, the sense of mistrust, and poor communication at the company where they first both worked together. Now, with those experiences in mind, they vowed to avoid the culture, Lonnie loves that word, which the company Love manifested. It. So what did their new culture look like? Well, first, they treated their employees with greater respect and appreciation. They set up bonus plans, not just for quantity or efficiency, typical, but also for quality and great ideas. They looked at the QC department the same as they looked at the sales department. Because there's this thing called sales and another thing called sales returns and allowances due to rejects. So... Now, and I'm not suggesting that use a metal suggestion box for giving that feedback, okay? But by having openness to ideas for the people who are doing the work, that's who they talk to, not just their supervisors. Next, they told me that the machine operators specifically, they told them what they wanted from them specifically, not generously. And they were willing to modify the standards if the information given to them demonstrated that such suggestions were valid. Now, to show you how it worked, those same operators who might have gotten the standards reduced to help them get more bonuses were also willing to increase the standards after a period of time working on a particular project. In other words, it became a collaboration 
Keep that word in mind rather than the negotiation. Yes, I know the sound utopian lines going, all right. Wow, come on, this theoretic. They're all going, this, this guy is so full. And I would be if I was there. I saw it. That's what I learned from people. Ask me, how'd you learn all you learned as a client, as a consultant? I go, my clients taught me. Thank you. Absolutely. Okay? And they pay me. It doesn't happen overnight. It certainly doesn't. And it can break the trust and it doesn't get sustained. Or there are troublemakers you try to mess with it. Stan, I get what you're saying because I've seen it. I've seen it happen. I've been involved with clients the same way. It's like how one might set up and manage a compensation bonus system. And let's talk about other areas that maybe have nothing to do with production. Talk about one of my favorite topics, customer service. One of the least tracked areas of many companies. And many owners operate with the thought that no complaints mean we're doing fine. Imagine being a customer service manager and having information about the number of customer complaints, because they do come in, reported by cause of complaint, and what all that costs a company, followed by a trend report to show how that this was increasing or decreasing. This happens all the time, but often it's hidden. Working on a client situation where they had a number of products, they all of a sudden started to get a lot of complaints about one of the products that was increasing significantly. We dug into it only to find that the purchasing manager had gotten a really good deal to replace a part from a supplier, a local supplier, might I add, that they'd been successfully dealing with for years. Saved the company thousands of dollars, except for one little problem. The part overheated and caused problems with the product. The returns were more than double, not only wiped out the savings, but cost the company a bunch of money, caused a review of purchasing processes so that it wouldn't happen again. Wow, that's a story. You know, Lonnie, I'll give you one here. How often the owners are looking at the sales figures, and when they get the report, somebody nets the returns and allowances against us. All they see is net sales. They don't see sales returns allowances, and they don't track it. I remember a friend of mine, it was a customer service manager for a big pool company, and I said, how'd you get a job? He said, well, they fired the other customer service manager. I said, why? He said, because the people, they were basically giving everybody a return just because they came to complain and didn't do anything to determine whether it really was a defective product or not. And they were getting a ton of stuff back that really didn't justify actually even issuing the sales return allowance, if you will. And that's the good news. You want to hear the bad news, Lonnie? They also had increased returns allowance. That wasn't enough bad <laughs> yeah. news? Yeah. They also had return allowance because QC sucks. So between poor quality control, which were justified returns, they had the customer service department issuing credits where there wasn't one justified, a double whammy. Oh, man. Something as simple. And until I said, let me see your sales returns and allowance figures. And the owner almost fell off his chair when I showed him. He had no idea. And of course, the controller was in the hot seat because the alarm should have been going off. Of course. The symptom was the sales figure, return allowance figure increasing, but nobody went to see the reason. It's incredibly important that you look at all the pieces because it's far less than the old school guys where nobody was in on the sales stuff. It was a need to know basis. And there was an innate fear of sharing sales data, especially cost of sales, cost of goods, and a few of you are manufacturing things that are national security items, aren't you? 
No, you're not. But when you can share critical data, your employees get a picture of where the company is and maybe can offer suggestions as to how they can improve as Stan's lessons previously talked about the machine shop. Fearing of someone leaking stuff to competitors ranks way down on the list of my fears in that situation. Lonnie, it's going to be important for us to be practical here because let's face it, how many companies have you worked with where they actually shared the sales data until you got involved? And are there other ways to share information without necessarily giving them dollar figures? Sure. You could do a lot with percentage of goals, et cetera. You've got, I know, a good story of this, but is the company hitting its targets, whether that's in terms of sales, cost of goods, quality control, et cetera? It can be done as a percentage of that without sharing the actual information. But you know, the bottom line is you're going to spend so much time doing that. Might as well just share the data. For the cynics out in the group here, Lonnie, in our audience, we're not saying that sharing any of your financial information just to be transparent is the way to go. We're not saying that. But there are ways to achieve the intention that we're trying to give you here. And as Lonnie said, it can be in the form of your KPIs, key performance indicators, whatever that might be for your industry. And if you don't know where they are, contact your trade association. I'm sure they'll tell you. Or as your accountant, you might have other clients in the same industry that are not competitive to yours and can tell you how they're doing it. But the percentage to goal is probably the safest, easiest way and probably the most meaningful. And it's simple to calculate whether it's reject rates, customer satisfaction, new customers acquired or lost, what your overhead rate structure might be, whatever it might be. Percentage to goal is a good thing. You set the goal in the dollars, you keep track of the percentage and simply report that. It's not more difficult than that. I remember a client of mine, Lonnie, was a manufacturer of thermostats and thermometers. I think you mentioned earlier. Yeah, you talked about it. was operated by two brothers. They were not too far off in age. And they took over when the dad went blind. And as is not uncommon, the brothers had different mindsets from each other. One brother was more like his dad from the old days, untrusting and somewhat militaristic style in his leadership. And frankly, never worked anywhere else as a kid since graduating college. Now, the other brother chose not to come to business until nearly a decade later of working for another growing manufacturer. And he rose to a VP position during that short term. So luckily for him, he was exposed to best practices. That's the good news. The bad news, he was met with such resistance by his older brother and the father, who though blind, still could hear and was coming in the office. And kind of active, I would say. And I was invited in for other reasons, but was asked for my insights and my opinion. When the younger brother wanted to begin sharing some financial information, this is the one who had worked in corporate, okay? And the father and older son reacted. Their reaction to sharing the information was the same as you'd have <laughs> if you were asked to provide your social security number and driver to a known scammer on the phone. Okay. So, exactly. so before I say any more, I want to be clear. We're not proposing a wholesale distribution of confidential financial information just to appear with it or woke. Now back to my war story. So I was able to lay out a template for all the KPIs we could identify for their industry present them in a form of actual to goal in terms of for the managers, not dollars. And we met quarterly for one hour with all the managers, supervisors, and even down to three workers, you'll think I'm kidding you, who were chosen by the workers as their representative. And it wasn't a union shop, just to review the KPIs and kind of report back to the employees, a thumbs up, a thumbs down kind of a thing. That's all the other employees wanted, anyway, good or bad. And discuss why we believe the figures went in the direction they did. 
and what we hope to achieve and improve. Now, think about that kind of conversation in your own company. How will you make that work for you? So we asked for their feedback and what they believe was the cause. Sometimes they were surprised by what they presented. That sometimes they thought it was better than it was, sometimes it was worse. And they provided valuable insights that caused us to dig even deeper that the employees gave us feedback. That reminds me of a war story I thought you were going to share about a client you had who discovered that the reason their cost of materials percentage seemed too high and increasing three years in a row was due to an employee who was borrowing material from the company to do work on the side. So I'll share it. Simply put, once you started to share the KPIs with all the employees, it didn't take long before a couple of people became whistleblowers, saying they overheard some people talking about the jobs they had completed, but they weren't jobs in the company that the company had recorded. Technicality, Your Honor, <laughs> just a technicality. That led to a further investigation. And it's sad. We prefer to talk about positive things, but that was a great example of how knowledge can help and also hurt. And bonuses were given to all the employees because of the significant savings that it resulted in. So it was like a two-edged sword, and it hurt both ways. That's right. You can't make this stuff up, honey. <laughs> no, you, you cannot. Once you see the positive impact on employees, it reinforces that you're doing the right thing, even when occasionally, let's face it, it backfires on you. Hey, nothing good in life is without risk. I think you taught me that, Lonnie. And I heard a great yes. story to share that about this and how they can backfire you and how you handle it when it does. But let's take a minute to hear this. As a small business owner, you face many challenges. You're not alone. What can be even more stressful is not having someone to talk to who doesn't have their own agenda. What if you could talk in depth and confidentially to other small business owners like you on a periodic basis, folks facing the same challenges or who have solved the same problems? The Small Business Virtual Roundtables is the answer for you. Small Business Virtual Roundtables are held monthly for 90 minutes. Membership in each roundtable is limited to 15 people, providing ample time for each member to have their issue addressed by their fellow members. These peer advisory groups are formed to avoid competitive concerns while taking into consideration company size and characteristics that closely match your own business. Need more attention? There is a complimentary 30-minute one-on-one session with the facilitators during the month to seek additional feedback. Monthly membership fees to the Small Business Virtual Roundtables are less than the cost of an hour with your attorney, and this is all done without ever leaving your office or home. Just the time savings of avoiding needless driving is worth the cost. New groups of the Small Business Virtual Roundtables are now being formed on a first-come, first-served basis. Ready to sign up? Head to sbvirtualroundtables.com to receive a complimentary invitation to attend up to three meetings. Again, that's sbvirtualroundtables.com. With Small Business Virtual Roundtables, there's no need to go it alone. And now, back to Lonnie and Stan. So what do you do when employees try to use your good news against you? I remember a client where we did share what seemed like good news. You call Salvatore, don't you? <laughs> but it was only short-lived. Oh, Lonnie, these ethnic jokes. So after showing the profits had increased in the past quarter just ended, now remember, 
profits increased. They like to hear that. An employee said, hey, I guess we're all getting bonuses since we exceeded the profit goal with a smirk on his face. Now, needless to say, he set us up for a hit. You could see from his expression, he had something in mind because even he knew that the reason we exceeded the goal had nothing to do with anything that he or anyone else did. Rather, it was a short-term drop in materials prices in the market. In this case, it was fresh beef, if you will, for processing. The prices went actually back up the following quarter. So this is where you have to be on your toes with your numbers and also bring a kind of a diplomatic style that's to become confrontational. So rather than create a debate atmosphere, here's how the owner handled it. I thought it was beautiful. I listened to this. So he said, it sounded like this. He says, great observation, Tom, the employee who made the comment. Does anyone here know why our net profit percentage exceeded our goal for the quarter? And of course, Tom, you know, he raised his hand. He said, yeah, I know. I believe the cost of meat fell. Note he didn't say our purchasing department beat the brains out of our suppliers like it did a great buying job. To that reply, the owner said, you're correct. Prices actually fell. And sadly, it wasn't because we recognized the demand for beef was going to drop this quarter when we might have had a chance to stock up for more at the low prices anticipation of the rising prices. So while I'm not criticizing our great purchasing department, I don't believe a bonus is fair to the company because we're not paying more for the same meat and we're not certain we're going to be able to buy it and pass the prices on as the increase this quarter to our customers. To be candid, it was as much a fault of the sales department who might have been able to give a heads up to the purchasing department about sales trends in industry. And by the way, this is not an uncommon phenomenon in the meat processing industry, and it also illustrates with Lonnie and I talk about things slipping through the cracks or left hand, right hand, and communication problems. If you listen to any previous communications of our podcast, you know we talked about that. Absolutely, Stan. Does this bring back memories from the high-tech industries that I've worked in? Let's take your example and reverse under-purchasing to over-purchasing. Specifically, stocking up on components that can become obsolete within months because of upgrades or new technologies. I did a turnaround for a company about 20 years ago that manufactured multiple technology products, including disc controllers for PCs. Today, especially with solid-state drives, these are built in. But back in the good old days, they were separate pieces of hardware. Well, their purchasing manager, actually in conjunction with their sales manager, who had a great contact in the Far East, got them a deal for controllers and ordered about 20 times what they normally purchased. This was at a time when technology changed about every 15 minutes. And by the time the controllers arrived, they almost were out of date because the technology had changed because they came from the Far East. It took them two and a half months to get And I remember saying to the sales manager that he better figure out how to move those controllers or I was going to have to start paying our people in controllers because we had more of them than we had (laughs) of cash. (laughs) Goofy as it may sound, imagine being the buggy whip manufacturer who stocks up on leather during the year in which the automobile becomes popular. Unless they can switch to becoming a leather belt manufacturer or something similar, there's going to be a lot of leather left unused. (laughs) Essentially, what we have discussed, that is the what, when, how, why of sharing financial information with employees, is an approach that 
if you're keeping all the secrets, you might just be missing an opportunity to motivate employees and improve morale. Regardless of your decision, at least take some time to see how you might be able to employ some of the ideas we've presented today. Chances are you'll be pleasantly surprised by the results. You don't have to empty the entire barrel of information at one time. No drink from a fire hose. But there's nothing wrong with a drip at a time and seeing how your people respond. Well, that's a lot. Well, thank you so much for that recap, Lonnie. And I hope everyone has had a chance. And as we keep reminding you, our emphasis here is not on lecturing, but just bringing things to the top of your mind. Have you reflect on the things we've told you, apply that to your business, and come up with at least one takeaway that you're going to go do something about today, not just be entertained, although we do try to do that too. So we want to thank you, Lonnie and I, for really spending your time with us today. We invite you to share your war stories at info at sbvirtualroundtables.com, including asking questions and even requesting an invitation to be a guest at one of our virtual roundtables. You can come take a test drive on us and see where it can take you in your business. And it's complimentary, even up to three visits if you need to, to assess whether it's a fit for you and likewise us fit for it with you. So we hope to hear from you. We promise you can feel like one of our family sooner than you might expect. And we'll be back to you soon. See you guys. You've been listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the podcast providing eye-opening insights and perhaps a caffeine high to better run your business. Delivered in Stan Simpkins and Lonnie Shambi's own unique style. Head on over to sbvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan, subscribe to the show, find more resources, and check out their monthly 90-minute virtual roundtables. Thanks for listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call.